When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. So we are in episode 26 of our study, uh, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And where we left off the story is that God told um, Moses that he should consecrate the firstborn, uh, not only the animals, but the, uh, and I guess just to recap a little bit, if I, if Jennifer said she was watching and it got to the point about the donkey. So the whole point of that whole thing, God said, you need to, uh, you need to do all of your uh, animals. The firstborn has to be consecrated to me. If it's a donkey, you have to consecrate a lamb. You, you don't have to get rid of the, you know, the, your price for consecration is you have to take a lamb and consecrate it to me. If you don't consecrate the lamb, then you have to break the donkey's neck. And it just seems like such a waste. But what God is trying to reinforce to Israel is that every gift you possibly have in your life, every single one of them is mine. I'm giving it to you so that you can bless the world through these gifts that I give you. That's how I read this. And so it's it's a harsh lesson for the Israelites to learn, but it's a great lesson for us just to pause and reflect, to say everything that we have is a gift from God. It's not ours to use. We don't get to keep it forever. When we die, we don't get to keep it forever. Uh, when It is just temporarily given to us to use to, uh, you know, to sustain our lives and then to bless the world around us. And in the Old Testament, one of the ways they did that was the tithe, right? To, to make sure that you understood that the gifts were not yours, God implemented this system where, you know, a 10% of what you were given was supposed to be used to bless the world. Uh, it was a way to force our hearts to recognize that everything we have is not ours. It seems like a sacrifice. And the answer is it is a sacrifice because... There is a huge correlation between love and sacrifice. If you love God, if you want to serve him, if you want to be a part of him, then then you sacrifice for him. In the Old Testament, there's this thing called a tithe. In the New Testament, our whole entire lives are given to God as a sacrifice to him. That's what Paul said, right? Uh, we, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and blameless to God. So all of these things point out that Every gift that we have is not ours. It's just, it's just given to us temporarily by God to use for his world around us. And there are a lot of people in this world that, that feel like, and I'm talking about outside of you know, people who, who live their lives for God. If, if you don't live your life for God, then you're living your lives for yourselves. I guess it's possible you could live your life for other organizations that are that are not going to fulfill your heart. But when, when you live your life for yourself and everything is about you and it's me focused, um, it is not a healthy way to live your life. It is not the way that God created you. And ultimately, it does not work. So that's kind of what we, that's just recapping what we said yesterday. So you don't have to go back and look at the podcast. That's kind of what I said in a nutshell. But we're going to continue on. We're in Exodus 13, and we ended up in verse uh, verse 13 of chapter 13 yesterday. And so now we're going to go to verse 14 of chapter 13. And this is what it says. In days to come, when your son asks you, 
What does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So God's just continuing this story. And God says, listen, what your sons are going to ask, why in the world do we do this offering? Why do we consecrate this Kadosh, the firstborn of Israel? And when your son asks you this, you're going to remind him that I, the Lord your God Almighty, rescued you out of the land of Egypt and slavery and brought you into the promised land. And this is going to go on for generation, for generation, for generation. God does not want his people of Israel to forget this great thing that he did. This is, this in the, I've said in the, 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 for Jewish people, the rescue out of slavery is the highlight of the Old Testament. And so you are not going to forget this. And so you're going to wear it on your forehead and upon your hand. Uh, we call these phylacteries or, or tefillin. And in that's a box, and inside the box are four scriptures, uh, a couple from Deuteronomy, uh, no, one, one from Deuteronomy, and then these passages from Exodus. And uh, all of this goes in the box that you actually wear on your head so that you, so that you don't forget this. I mean, just think about that. 4,000 years, Orthodox Jews today will still wear phylacteries and, and these uh, tefillin on their head with these scripture verses on them. So every day they adorn themselves with this story <laughs> that God rescued them out of slavery for Egypt, that they are God's chosen people, that he rescued them, that he loves them, he cares for them. Can you imagine uh, waking up every day and adorning yourself with things that remind you how much God loves you? Well, for me, I adorn myself in the morning by just looking at God's creation and reminding myself in this time that I spend with God that he loves me, he cares for me, I'm his special um, creation, he loves me just as I am, uh, he wants me to use my gifts for his glory, and the same is true for all uh, people who are in his kingdom. So uh, every morning, adorn yourself with this joy that God has created you. Um, who was it? I was reading, I was preparing for, was it last week's sermon? I think it was. And um, I came across a quote, and I don't remember the exact quote, and I don't remember who said it, but it was basically something like, every day is a lifetime gift to God. Like each one is a gift to be used. When you wake up in the morning, it's amazing that we sleep. I don't know why God... God didn't have to create us to sleep, right? I mean, he could have created us to, um, to you know, to be awake 24-7. But the way God created us is that we have these things called days where the sun rotates or the earth rotates around the sun. Well, the earth rotates around the sun 360. But the, this rotation, the earth rotates and gives us these things called days. And each day is like the beginning of a new... It's like we reset our lives every day and every day we get to choose what is going to happen in that day and um and it's it's like sleeping is a reset and we get 
you know, 70, 80, 90 years times 365 days, we get all of those each day because each day, whatever happened in the previous days, you could stop and you could say, you know what, this day, I'm going to do this and um, I'm going to choose to do these things. And it's really kind of an exciting thing that each day is a gift from God to be used in his service. And if you messed up yesterday, the day before, that's all right. Christ redeems us and he gives us a new day to follow him. And I think that's kind of cool. And these people, these Jews, were told by God to remind your sons about this and to wear these as signs and symbols on your forehead that I brought you out of Egypt. It's just a remarkable thing. And I guess every day we could wake up and remind ourselves that God redeemed us and brought us out of the land of slavery because of his son, Jesus, uh, by becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Anyway, so that's uh, that's the end of um, chapter 13. Now we're going to go into the great story. I mean, the great story. This is the one. I hope that the stream doesn't end. But we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter 14, beginning of verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now let's just uh, pause and stop here for a second. Nobody is quite sure exactly where these places are. A lot of studies have been done. Um, A lot of people have done research. Obviously, there there was not a map of the Middle East that was categorized and put in the Library of Congress to tell us where all these places are. And some of these Hebrew names or or Egyptian names or or, um, Hittite names or or Canaanite names, I mean, all, all these names are, we don't really know. And so we have to, you know, do a lot of digging and research because the name of the town today might have gone through several iterations and different people. Uh, they might have kept the same name vocalizations or they might have kept the same name meaning, uh, but there is no standard for these things. And so archaeologists love to go back and research and figure out where, where these names of these places are. But we know that they left Egypt. They went east. They most likely went south into the Arab Peninsula, right? Uh, and where they were, we don't know. But the prom- we know where the promised land is. We know where Egypt is. And we know that they wandered. So it has to be somewhere in that area. It has to be on that Sinai Peninsula. So, but I, I think when I read this and I've studied this, I think I, th- I kind of agree with most scholars. Uh, and I'm just going to show you a map. Uh, I'm looking at a map, for those of you that are listening, I'm looking at a map of the Exodus route map. map. This is by Steve Rudd, March 11th, 2007, www.bible.ca. I think CA is Canada. 
And if I look at this map, it shows the land of Goshen, which is right where Egypt is. And it shows the path of the Exodus, that they go east, and then they go south along the western border of the Sinai Peninsula, and they go all the way to the tip. And they're saying at the tip is Migdal. And uh, so if you're at Migdal, to the left, you have the Red Sea, or what we know now as the Gulf of Suez, and to the right, you have another sea, which is the Gulf of Aqaba. So imagine you are, um, imagine you are at the tip of the Sinai Peninsula, and you've got two gulfs that go into the land to kind of create uh, the Sinai Peninsula, which is triangular in shape. You've got the triangular at the very southern tip. That's one tip of the triangle. The other tip of the triangle on the left-hand side is Egypt. And the tip of the triangle on the right-hand side is pretty much where Israel is, right? So you've got this triangle. And if I zoom into this area, you will see that according to this guy, uh, Migdal is the southern tip. And then across the Gulf of Aqaba, it, at that tip, is Baal Zephon. And so that distance is about 250 meters, according to him. So that would be about... Um, three football fields, two and a half football fields to get across from Migdal to Baal Zephon. And um, he has in small writing right there, Pi Hai Haroth, which is translated the mouth of the water, which, which I agree with. I, I think that Pi Hai Haroth, the mouth of the water, there has to be water, and the mouth makes sense to me to be down here at the tip of the Sinai Peninsula. So God tells Moses and the Israelites to go south. Go south as far as you can, and go between Migdal and across from Baal Zephon, or from Pi Haharoth and Baal, ha Baal Zephon. And so the Israelites do that, but what's the danger in that? Well, there's no danger if you know, you've been rescued and God tells you to go here, you go there. But then God reveals to Moses that, by the way, Pharaoh's going to come after you. Now, if Pharaoh's coming after you, this is the last place in the world that you want to be, at the tip of the Sinai Peninsula. There's no escape, none whatsoever. You can't go north. If, if Pharaoh's coming after you, it's, it's going to get narrower and narrower and narrower to where you, the only escape you have is to go out into the middle of the sea. It, it is a very, very stupid place to go. Uh, if, I were, if I were Moses, I'd have said, wait a minute, God. No, 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 no. Why don't you have us go over to, over, over to Israel? At least there's an escape route. If I go over in that direction, the land of the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites, if I go over there to Cana, then I've got the whole entire, you know, Iraq, Iran, modern-day Iraq, Iran, the, the, the Mesopotamia. I have all of that to escape to. But you're telling me to go to the very, very tip of the Sinai Peninsula and to go here? You've got to be kidding me. And we don't see this discussion right now with God and Moses. He just, Moses is so excited to be, have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. And he's so excited that God has done the plagues and forced Pharaoh's hand to force him to, to let the Israelites leave 
that that he's like, okay, God, wherever you're telling me to go, I'm gonna go, and and so that's what Moses does. Um, so, but we'll pick it up again in verse five. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, "What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services." So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Haharoth, opposite Baal Zephon. So um, you can imagine the Israelites are leaving on foot. All the animals are leaving on foot. They're going very slowly. And, and Pharaoh's like, no, we're going to overtake them. So he gets on chariots and he goes to pursue and overtakes the Israelites as they are camped by the sea near Pi Haharoth, opposite Baal Zephon. We continue on. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And this always happens whenever you are a leader and you're doing what God wants you to do, like Moses, or, you know, any, any of the great people in God's kingdom that have followed God's will. Um, God says, do these things and the people do it. And for a while it's great, but then all of a sudden something happens. And now they second guess and say, did you really think that God wanted us to do this? Is this really the direction that God wanted us to go? It would have been so much better to stay there where we knew what was going on than to come out here into the die in the desert. And my, my heart goes out to Moses here because this is just a, this is every, you know, leader's nightmare. You know, you follow God, what you think God's calling you to do, and you do it. And then all of a sudden things don't look like they're going as planned. They may be going as God planned, but they may not be going as the people thought. Um and now all of a sudden they complain and they grumble. And, and Moses is like, I'm just following God. I'm just doing what God wanted me to do. But um, <laughs> didn't I say earlier that this, this really is, a, this whole thing about Exodus is a story about the Moses' leadership of the people of Israel. And, uh, and so God does that. Why have you done this by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we, wouldn't it be better if we stayed in Egypt? Oh my goodness, we could have died there. Yeah, you could have died there, but what glory would have been in that? Because if they'd have stayed in Egypt, they would have never conquered the promised land. They would have never had kings. They would have never been able to form a nation to bring forth God's son. It's all part of God's plan. All of God's plan is to become flesh and to be born in Bethlehem and to save mankind. And this journey that Moses is doing is part of that plan. And this is what God's called Moses to do. But, but the people of Israel, they're not going to make it easy for Moses. Let me put it that way. They're not going to make it easy for Moses. 
All right, so um, we're going to go on in verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Then I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved out in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. All right, we'll just stop there. Um, So God has the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night and all that, but there's this pillar. And it went between Israel's army or Israel's people and Pharaoh's army. It's like they're being pursued and God cries out and all of a sudden God creates this pillar of cloud and he puts it between them. Oh, it's just a remarkable story. It gives you chills, right? That God would protect Israel through this cloud. And so Israel uh, is protected by the cloud. Pharaoh's armies are stopped. And then what happens? This is the great, we'll, we'll, we'll read this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea, back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. It's just uh, just phenomenal story. Um, Here we see the second great miracle of God. First, he had the 10 plagues and then he brings them to the tip of the Sinai Peninsula and then the armies of pharaohs are pursuing them and then he blocks them with a pillar of cloud, fire and light. Uh, And then Moses stretches out his hand. The sea opens up. Israel goes through the sea. Pharaoh's army pursues. They get bogged down in the sea and then the sea comes and covers them. And... uh, and that is just an amazing story, an amazing story of God's miraculous. When, when he tells his sons, when Jewish people tell their sons this story, 
they'll say, yeah, about the 10 plagues, but they're also going to include this whole crossing of the Red Sea uh, and how God drove back the waters. Uh, if you've seen movies of this, the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt or any of the movies that have depicted this moment, you see this huge sea open up and the Israelites going through. It's just a stunning, stunning thing. I mean, the plagues you can talk about as, you know, literally or figuratively and how did that work and the angel of death and all that sort of thing. But how do you talk about this passage through the Red Sea? It's, it's a, quite an amazing story. So we're going to continue talking about this tomorrow uh, because there's a whole lot more to say about it. Uh, but I think we'll end it here today. And it looks like the stream has continued to stay, even though it says the resolution's too high. Uh, but let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you that you rescued Israel and helped bring them safely through the waters. And you bring us safely through waters too. And we'll talk about that in later episodes. But thank you for this time together. And until we meet again, keep us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.